Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin. Only problem you're gonna have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street back with a traditional episode post NBA draft lottery. I am Corey Tulliba. I am. One half of the Draft Act NBA Draft Podcast. I am here with my co-host, Albert Kim. Albert, how are we doing today? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling loose. I'm feeling ready. I feel like... I feel like... Dancing. I feel like DeAndre Ayton in the fourth quarter last Uh-oh. night. You know? Ready to Un- go. Unreal, man. Un- yeah. Believable. What a pass. I mean, he- the, whole, the whole thing was phenomenal. Um, DeAndre Ayton. The don't give up on really talented big men who move well archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, we're not talking about big men. We are talking about a walking bucket out of Arizona State. We're talking about Joshua Christopher. All right. And I'm really excited for today's episode because Josh Christopher is kind of polarizing on the internet. Um, I think. You either run hot or you run cold with him. He, you're, you're either into him or you're not. You know, you're into blondes, or you're into brunettes. I don't know, <laughs> but some people really love Josh Christopher. Some people really don't. Let's get into it. Josh Christopher, 19 and a half years uh, old on draft day. We just got new measurements, official measurements for a lot of these guys, which is exciting. No more guessing games. Official measurements: six four and a half in shoes. 215, 6, 9, and a quarter wingspan. So uh, that wingspan really helps him out. Uh, average 14.3 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.7 turnovers, 1.5 steals on 43, 31, 80 shooting splits for a true shooting percentage of 53%. A lot of hot, a lot of cold there. Preseason rankings. Bleacher Report had Jay Gupp at 21. Hmm. ESPN had him at 11 coming into the season. SB Nation had him at 26. Currently, Bleacher Report has him at 28. ESPN has dropped him down to 38. He is not ranked on the most recent SB Nation mock. He's also not ranked on the ringer mock. So we got a stock dropper here. Uh, Maybe not as big as somebody like BJ Boston, but enough that um, there's some buying opportunity here with Joshua Christopher. Uh, His preseason stock price was 19 
35.3. He has dropped to an average of 34.6. That is second wow. round value on Josh Christopher, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else. So, Albert, I ask you, is Josh Christopher stock priced too high, too low, or is it just right? I, I think the answer here is pretty clear. It, it's too low for me. Um, I can understand because, man, that dip is insane. You said from 19 to 34, yeah. right? That's, yeah. dude, that's a huge dip. And, I, I you know, we're going to talk about it. There are many reasons why that dip is his reality right now. But after watching his tape, it feels too low for me because I feel like Christopher is going to be the type of guy that's going to make some team very happy in two to three years. I don't think it's going to be immediate. But in two to three years down the road, when he's like 22, 23, he's going to make somebody really, really happy. So I'll start off by saying too low. Yeah, I uh, I think it's ludicrous that he's that low. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Before we get started on the Josh Christopher scouting report, I want to hand out the inaugural Ashton Hagen's award. Wow. Because we have a winner. <laughs> the winner of the Draft Act Ashton Hagen Award for 2021 is Alonzo Verge Jr. Now, the Ashton Hagen Award is the award for the point guard that I hated watching the most while scouting another NBA draft prospect. So mm-hmm. congratulations to Alonzo Verge Jr. You did it. Big round of applause, everybody. <sighs> the crowd goes wild. <laughs> I have to say, this is a pretty big award because uh, you and I hated Ashton Hagens last year. So uh, you giving Alonzo Verge this, this prestigious uh, award means something here because Hagens was a freaking nightmare at Kentucky last year. Yeah, he was not my favorite guy to watch, but we did get an award named after him, which is exciting. Um, let's get into the scouting report, moving on to more upbeat and positive things. We're going to start out with Josh Christopher's finishing ability. 73% on close twos. That is a phenomenal number for a guard. 73% is big man type stuff. He is a he has a shifty handle with a quick low cross, can go both ways, um, three level scoring ability. And what I love is his ability to come at you with choppy feet, stop on a dime, and pull up. And he could do that in transition. He could do it in the half court. Um, he has combo moves off the bounce to get to the shot. Deep deep bag he can go left pull up he likes to drive right but he's more than capable of hitting you with a little snatch back and hitting the mid-range shot going right and and that's actually uh, a tough pull up for a lot of prospects going right it's way easier if you're a righty to take a couple of dribbles with your left you go right smoothly into your shot there's a, a degree of difficulty getting to your right and he's comfortable there He's already got that uh, the pump fake, get fouled, knock down, the continuation, the Dwayne Wade move, which apparently they're going to look at next year. We'll see. I don't know if I, I trust uh, 
the referees on that, but yeah, you know, we'll see. Um, now I know he only shot 30% from deep, but I buy the shot making translating at the next level because he was taking NBA shots. Um, and what I mean by that is like sometimes in college, you just see a guy who's playing a kind of different game. And Josh Christopher, it's not like he was breaking out of the offense or anything. Um, that is Alonzo Verge Jr., and that's why he won the award. But he just is doing things on the court that his teammates really weren't capable of doing that you see in the NBA from guys who you would consider to be those plus scorers. Um, so he, he was hitting these NBA level shots. And I think that if some of his teammates actually passed him the ball a little bit more often when he was open, his three point percentage might be a little bit higher because he could just get into a little catch and shoot. And not to say that he didn't have catch and shoot opportunities. Of course he did, but I think he would have had more if he didn't have guards with tunnel vision playing next to him. Uh, with that said, his shot selection does need to improve, right? He'll sometimes ISO take a tough shot from that long two point distance. He's only 36% from that range. Uh, just more awareness to either take the step back behind the three point line or get to a better spot on the floor. And the other thing with his shot is that, um, you know, sometimes he doesn't hold the follow through. He'll snake bite the release it can feel a little bit palmy sometimes. Um, and I think that's where a lot of times you see any inconsistencies on the misses, but uh, the way that he gets into the shots is really impressive. And functionally, I think that it's all correctable things. The fade is correctable. The snake biting is correctable. It's all correctable things. Um, what do you think about Josh Christopher's shot making Albert? Um, I, I hear everything that you're saying. Um, I, I did want to highlight some of the things that you talked about. I feel like he is pretty right-hand dominant. Um, it, it, you, you can kind of feel that he really prefers going to his right hand, but I don't know. I feel like that's something you can definitely work on that you can fix. I definitely feel you in terms of uh, him taking a ton of contested shots. Like when you watch his games, it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of, what you mentioned, like the context, right? Him not really getting a lot of open opportunities, but also I think, which is rare, not rare, but I, I think is a good tool and a good sign is that I think he's comfortable uh, taking contested jump shots, yes. which is a really, really good thing. Um, something that I did want to note, note is that um, I felt like there was a slight hitch to his shot. Um, I don't know if you saw that too. Maybe it's just me, but I felt like sometimes the ball would kind of, come to the left side of his head first and then he would shoot it um it might have just been how i was perceiving things but um overall i, I like the jump shot um the uh, one of the big things that I'll, I'll say that i was surprised by was his measurables um yeah I, I just maybe maybe i just got totally bamboozled by the hair um but i did not see him being six four and a half um and a lot of people on twitter were like no no you see it on tape and i was like are you sure? Because I thought he was going to be like a legit 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, and we're talking about inches here. So it's not like a huge difference. And I, I think his wingspan definitely uh, makes up for it. But um, yeah, I liked his like little lefty in and out dribble. I think he's really good mm -hmm. at that. Um, I, I think that's like one of his strengths. Um, pretty good tight handle. Like I wouldn't say his handle was like incredible. 
Like I, I think Trey Mann's handle might be a little bit better than his, but Christopher, really good handle. And ultimately, my biggest thing with him that I want to highlight throughout our pod today is this is one strong MFR. He is so damn strong and aggressive. And all of that led me to think of a player that, because like I feel like recently I have been good at finding comps. And I feel like I finally found one for Josh Christopher that I'm excited to share later. But he's strong, he's aggressive. And I think those are two things that 1000% translate to the next level. And then if you add in the fact that he's comfortable taking those contested shots, that comfort level is important to me. And which is another reason why I like a, a guy like Cam Thomas. Um, but yeah, I'm, those are the reasons why I'm pretty high on Christopher. And yeah, I, I like, I really like his shot making ability. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. His uh, lefty in and out is filthy and he just, he's able to get he's low to the ground with it which i love and and you don't know which direction he's going um love that and you talk about like his strength he's like a ferocious athlete with and he's real springy and you see that fearlessness that ferociousness um that strength come out in space so when he's in transition he is filthy in transition right he's thrown down some real athletic dunks um and he's also i really liked how he moved off the ball cutting off the ball to me was something that he was really impressive with at arizona state and again like to me for him it came back to point guard play like there are plenty of times where he would be making a backdoor cut and i feel like a guard would look at him and they just couldn't make the pass. And he would have to, and like he blew by him. It was like a receiver just absolutely destroying, um, you know, a corner with a route. So uh, you put him with an NBA level point guard, and I think he's going to get like some, like a lot of freebies. So uh, I-, I love that. And when he's in transition, that power, right? But there's also the patience. I felt like, he played at his own pace in transition. I think sometimes in the half court, uh, Arizona State didn't always have the best spacing. But in transition, I felt like he had this poise and this patience about him that he could really find the gaps and the spaces. And even when things got a little bit tighter, the ability to play with got, having guys on their heels, he was able to take advantage and slither through in those areas too. Um but usually guys like that who are bouncy and strong will just try to go through you, you know, go 100 miles an hour. And he wasn't like that. He surveyed, looked for openings, and it's where he showed some flashes of playmaking that, you know, that's definitely one of the the negatives um, if you were going to, you know, talk about what he needs to get better at, right? I mean, 1.4 assists, 1.7 turnovers. It, he was not a playmaker. But with that said, I thought that when he was passing the ball, I thought he had good passing feel. Now, does that mean he is a willing passer because he has passing feel? Not all the time. But again, I I look back at his role. His role was to score. And I think that basically every guard was a catch, hold, and iso. And in the NBA, a lot of it is more .5. Catch, move the ball. Catch, make a quick decision. And I think that's going to actually help him. Um, because when you play with a bunch of guards who are just going to kind of dribble the air out of the ball for a while, like once you get the ball, 
you're like, all right, I better, you know, do my thing here quick, or I might not get it back for a little bit. So I think that kind of plays into it a little bit. But again, I think he has good feel. I think that he knows where to place the ball. And what I mean by that is like a lot of times guys will pass the ball to a player in space instead of passing the ball to a space and letting the player catch up to it. And I think he does a good job of knowing how to place the ball almost like a quarterback going down field to a receiver, meeting meeting the ball. And uh, I really like that, but he needs to up his passing um, volume. And the question is, can he do it? So, you know, is, is that something that you think he could work on at the next level? For sure. I think, you know, I think it was in an interview. He had said that he was way more used to being like a one yeah. Um, and playmaking and stuff like that. So I think, I think what you're saying, Corey, is spot on. I think it really was a big part of this was situation, circumstance, and context. Like he just wasn't enabled to be much of a playmaker. Um, I think they really, it, I, I don't really know what his coach was saying to him, but it felt like his coach was just telling him like, Hey, you're going to go and be a bucket. We need you to go and get buckets. Um, and so whatever happened there, I, I think that's real. Um, another issue that I did want to talk about is he fouled a lot. He averaged more than three fouls a game. Uh, we're, I'm sorry. We're, I know we're talking about offense. We'll talk about that more yeah. later. But um, yeah, in terms of the playmaking, I, I feel you on that. I would like to see what that looks like because like, there were some plays where he made good reads um, and he, he, he made some decent passes. But it's going to be interesting to see how that translates to the next level. Um, and I think you're right. I think there should be more of an emphasis on that. So whatever situation he ends up in, I hope that the coaching staff there tells him like, Hey, we don't need you to just be a scorer, just be a bucket. Um, We're trying to play a team game out here. And I think that'll help him because I don't think he has like crazy tunnel vision. I don't think he's like this, you know, this guy that's like against passing like some guys are um, uh, like uh, Alonzo Virgin jr. (laughs) But um, you know, I I think he, has that ability and so which is probably why his stock has dropped so much because he might be typecasted right now by other analysts and people who are coming up with these boards saying like okay this guy just doesn't pass the ball and i didn't see that from the tape i actually thought he has that ability and he's going to grow into that ability not that he's going to be like five to six assists per game but you know i i think it doesn't always have to come down to assists; it has to come down to moving the ball and i think he has that ability so i'm kind of there with you yeah, um, I and we've seen guys like Zach Levine. He's not a Chris Paul level playmaker, right? But we've seen him improve his playmaking when he got to the next level. We've seen Devin Booker improve his playmaking when he got to the next level. And not to say that, you know, Josh Christopher could, you know, may ever get to that level of playmaking, but we've seen guys who have struggled coming in, who had, you know, we questioned, can they do it? Are they willing to do it? And we've seen them improve. So, and, and I think that a lot of NBA offense is basic enough that once you get the pattern recognition down, you start chunking together, you know, the, the, the patterns and the plays, you're going to figure out your spots and how to at least just get basic passes off pick and roll, pick and pop, you know, that next level Luka Doncic come off the screen, hit the weak side corner. That is advanced stuff, and it may, may take a couple of years, but just like come off the screen, hit the roll, come off the screen, hit the pop, uh, get downhill, drive kick. Like that's all stuff I think he's more than capable of, and I think it's he's more than willing to do it. And and then, then I think he's you know willing uh, 
uh, to pass in transition as well. Uh, speaking of fouls, before we get to defense, I, I I also thought that he did a good job drawing fouls. Um, he he shot almost four free throw attempts a game. He probably would have got to the line a little bit more had he had a higher usage. He had the third mm-hmm. highest usage out of the backcourt, um, <laughs> out of his backcourt. Uh, so uh, I think that he's a guy that if he can get his three point shot to that. 36, 37% range. And I think, again, the fixes are are fixable. I, I don't think it's like a, a total reworking of a shot, but if he can get there and then continue to get to the line at a, a good rate, even if it was the same rate in college, but I think he has another gear there, he could turn himself into an efficient NBA player. Um, so uh, I, I'm I'm into what he brings offensively and a lot of the numbers, I'm not saying I'm throwing them away because some of the inefficiency is due to shot selection. And I'm not going to just excuse him because I don't like the other guards that he played with in the backcourt. Some of that is on him. Sometimes he could have got all the way to the hoop and he settled for a mid-range jumper. You know, sometimes he could have taken a three-point shot or could have not taken a three-point shot, swung the ball, got it back in a better spot. You know, he was taking shots he could have got at any point in time in the offense early on. So, yeah, he definitely has to fix that. But I don't think it was all that. I still think that he took uh, his fair share of good shots. And I think a lot of it, if he was in a cleaner offensive system, uh, I I think he would have displayed uh, a better shot selection. And I think he was, you know, interestingly enough, like I think if he had went to like the G League Ignite, I think that would have showed what his game is capable of in a, a better yeah. way than him playing in college. Um, mm. But let's switch it over. Mm-hmm. Wait, actually talk- really quickly. Yeah. Really quickly, Corey. I did want to say, I feel like people might hear this and think like, just because we like the guy, we're trying to make uh, concessions for him and like excuses for him. But if you watch the tape, like it's real, dude. Like he did not play on some excellent team that was running like awesome NBA offense and that like had the ball moving and all that stuff. Like I, I, I really, I really do want to say and like really, really say to our listeners, like it, it's there when you watch him play. Like it, it was a really tough situation for him, which is why, like, if you're an NBA GM, I feel like that's kind of where you have to, like, so okay, Corey. This morning I was thinking about it and like thinking about. If I were an NBA GM, how do I understand like all, all these one and done prospects? Because I feel like when we look at the upperclassmen, we we have a body of work. We can see how they've developed over time and stuff like that. All the one and dones, I feel like they're so freaking hard to evaluate because of exactly what we're talking about with like a Josh Christopher. Imagine Josh Christopher was on. I don't know, Kentucky or another bigger school and they run and they ran like better offense than what he was in, in Arizona state. I feel like it would be a completely different narrative, you know? And so like, not just Christopher, but a lot of these guys, Zaire Williams, whatever, like, I feel like evaluating a one and done prospect is such a hard thing. And if anything, I wanted to ask you, Corey, like, do you feel like NBA GMs are doing a good enough job of considering what we're talking about right now with context, with all that stuff? Because I feel like I I can't imagine being an NBA GM and like looking and like being able to 
really objectively evaluate a prospect considering all those factors and the fact that it's only a year like even like going back to like Kyrie and the four games he played at Duke like I I feel like it's such an impossible task sometimes to evaluate these one and done guys yeah NBA GM is a incredibly hard job (laughs) but (laughs) I think that there are guys like you mentioned Kyrie you can just watch like honestly you watch Kyrie the first second you watch him you could take somebody who's not even a basketball fan and they're like, holy fucking shit, that guy's good. You know, I like the first time I watched Darius Garland, I was like, Mm. that dude plays like an NBA player plays. And he played four games and I was so high on Darius Garland draft. And, you know, he's turned himself into a good player. I think he's going to get even better. We'll see how high his peak gets, but it took me one time to be like that handled that shot space creation uh, the passing instincts, it's NBA stuff. Now, a guy like Jalen Johnson, maybe he's a little bit harder to evaluate as a one and done. But that's why he's hanging around that area of the draft where you start seeing guys bust out a little bit. You know, he's mocked in probably that seven to like 14 range in the lottery. And right. that's that part of the draft is a crapshoot. Like every year we see teams kind of you know, tank the end of their season. And now this year is a little different with the play in tournament. And we'll probably see that going forward uh, with hopes of, you know, jumping up into the the top. But when you don't, and you're stuck in that 11, 12 range, like what is the success rate, the hit rate of getting really good players? Does it happen? Of course it does. Um, Mm. But a lot of times it's, you know, almost accidental at that point, because those same People like if the Miami Heat, let's say the year they took Bam out of bio, mm-hmm. right? And they got him at that kind of part of the draft. Let's say they had the fifth pick. Are they taking Bam there? Probably not. Right. Yeah. And, and so it, it's hard um to to GM. And like you could look like a genius because you took Bam where you did, but just because you took him there doesn't mean you would have taken him even one pick higher. necessarily right so sometimes it's luck and sometimes it's getting evaluations right but these guys have a team of people and Mm -hmm. that either makes it easier or harder because if you have a a bunch of people that you trust and there are a bunch of voices in the room who can't agree now you're like all right well who do i trust more do i trust myself or you might have a team you might have the analytics staff telling you like hey tyrese halliburton is really fucking good Mm-hmm. You know, because he was atop all the analytics charts and yet he slipped to where he did with the Kings because the eye test kind of showed you something a little bit different. But it turns out that the analytical side was right. So and, you know, Halliburton also, you know, from everything we've heard, his agent kind of wanted him to to fall a little bit. But what he's going to cause a stink if a, a team drafts him at eight or nine? Like, of course mm-hmm. not. Right. If the Pistons, the Knicks or whatever, if they took him, he's going there. He's not holding out. Um, he doesn't have that kind of juice, you know what I mean? So yeah. it, there's so many dissenting voices and people making decisions. And then it's like, all right, well, what if your owner <laughs> wants to take somebody? Right. I, you know, the, the whole business of the draft. Nick there's Stauskas. so many. <laughs> right. There's so <laughs> many moving pieces at the NBA level that it's not always as easy as it seems on the internet when you're just creating a big board and you don't really have any skin in the game like you could feel free to have guys way higher than quote-unquote consensus because if you're wrong 
you're just wrong. And you were like, all right, well, I saw the potential. It didn't work out. Like, okay. Like, but NBA GMs, like their livelihood is on the line, yeah. right? So, and when you're making that, there's a whole different level and overthinking and like, you can make a big board at, on the internet. You're not going to lose sleep at night before the draft or after it. And these guys are going to lose sleep um, if they make the, the wrong decision. And sometimes they can make the right decision and not even see it, you know, bear out because you already have moved on from them, you know? So it's like, it's, it's hard to evaluate these guys and they certainly get paid a lot of money to do a good job. So it's right. not like, Oh, poor, poor NBA GMs <laughs> either, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's really hard because a lot of players are talented and you could be super high on a prospect and then super high on the next prospect. And you might have one guy, one and one guy, two on your board for your spot. And your number two guy ends up becoming awesome, but you were able to get your number one guy who busted out. It doesn't mean that your evaluation is always wrong. It just, you just chose between two choices that you really liked and you, you know, went the wrong way. So it's hard. It's hard, but that's why NBA GMs get the big bucks. <laughs> and that's why uh, we have a podcast. <laughs> but our podcast is fucking awesome and we provide Let's you go. incredible content mm-hmm. on the reg. So, mm-hmm. you know, no, but I, 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 I appreciate that answer just because like, I was really thinking about that this morning, just like, you know, yesterday we did our mock draft and Keon Johnson fell out of the lottery, right? Yep. Uh, Jalen Johnson, we just did a pod on him. And most people, as you mentioned, have him pretty high in this draft. And then like, you know, I spent the day today watching a ton of Cam Thomas. I watched a little bit of Herb Jones, I watched a couple of these guys and I'm thinking like, damn, like, you know, like Cam Thomas for me feels like, I know we're going to do a pod on him, but like he feels to me kind of like what you were talking about with Kyrie. Like you watch a little bit of Cam Thomas and you go like, okay, these are NBA skills. Like this makes sense to me. And yet no one has Cam Thomas in the top 10 right now. Of course there are other reasons, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But I just think it's interesting. And then like the whole like Chris Duarte and all these upperclassmen and how people, you know, quantify that and where people feel comfortable drafting those guys. So I just feel like this is exactly why I think ultimately my point here, Corey is like, I was just thinking by myself while driving in LA today. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I think this is why we freaking love the draft so much because there's so many different factors that go into these decisions. And ultimately like, these decisions can really change the outlook of a whole freaking organization. Like it's freaking insane to think about. So anyway, I I, I appreciate you entertaining my question, but yeah. Yeah. It was a good question. I hope uh, the listeners also enjoyed it. And I would love to hear uh, the listeners um, opinion on it. And honestly, we should do a Q and a, a listener Q and a pod at some point soon. So, Uh, but let's, let's get back to, uh, Josh Christopher and let's let's switch it over to the other side of the ball and talk about his defense a little bit uh what did how did you feel about him defensively for me it's like we talked about like I think he has tools right I mean I think if he's wearing the right shoes he's 6'5 right yeah so he's 6'5 with like a 6'9 6'10 wingspan and from what I saw Corey you I'm curious to hear what you have to say because I was actually I felt a little hot and cold about him defensively I thought it was a game of engagement. 
So for me, when I was watching Christopher, it felt like when he was super engaged, he can actually do a hell of a job. I thought his feet weren't terrible defensively. I thought it was they were actually kind of kind of decent. He is kind of like long legged for me, and you know how I feel about my long legged defenders. <laughs> sure. um, you know, I'm not a huge de- believer in them, but. There were some possessions I saw that he did a really good job of moving his feet while also keeping his hands active. So I I love the guys that are like active with their hands and yet also disciplined at the same time. Like those are the guys where I'm like, y'all are freaking special. Right. And so I, I thought there were moments where Christopher was able to do that, where he was engaging his feet, but also really disciplined with his hands, but also able to like poke little dribbles away and stuff like that. Um, so for me, I thought the biggest thing was engagement. I thought, you know, as we mentioned, he was relied on to, you know, provide offense. But at the same time, like his usage wasn't like crazy high either. So I don't know. I felt like there were moments when he would kind of float and wasn't as engaged. And then, you know, there'd be like a 5'11 guy just ripped right past him to the bucket. I'm like, okay, that wasn't great. And then the next possession down, he's against, he's going up against a guy his size. And he's like, nah, like you're not going anywhere. I'm just going to poke the ball away. And so also I should mention some, some vicious blocks on his tape. Um, And I was like, Oh, that I like that, you know, some weak side help where he's like, let me just punch this to the roof. So um, overall, I'm going to say I was a little hot and cold on him. And I really did think it was a matter of engagement for Christopher. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, I I think that I'm probably, I was pretty a little, probably a little higher on his on ball defense. I feel like, he showed a little bit more consistency there um, where I thought, I, I thought he had like really competitive moments. And you mentioned like, you know, he'd line up from somebody and just be like, you're not going anywhere, you know? And that's when you saw he's deep in his stance. Um, you know, he's using his length, his arms are out wide. And I, I thought that he, like you mentioned, like he has really quick hands and he uses that length for a purpose, either using it to not let him get by you or to poke, the ball away. He was getting deflections and he's strong. So like, I actually thought that he moved really well laterally. And I know you got the, he's got the weird, uh, you know, leg thing for you. I, I don't necessarily know if I think that on for Christopher, but, uh, you're the body, um, guy on, on the pod. So I have to, uh, <laughs> you know, listen to you on Sounds that one, weird. but, uh, <laughs> the draft act, the body issue coming soon. Um, <laughs> and, I thought that he was able to move really well laterally to beat guys to the spot and just wall up and have guys go into his chest. And I think you really saw that um, when he made, you know, just an absolutely huge, monstrous defensive play, minute left, slides over, takes a charge against Rhode Island in a big moment. And, you know, that's the kind of defender and kind of instincts that he has. You mentioned the weak side shot blocking. Sick. His hang time on offense and defense is crazy. And a a lot of that kind of stuff is why when we talk about um, our you've previously bought segment, I have my guy that I think he plays like as well. Um, Now, when you talk about engagement off ball, I think that's where a lot of young guards, you see their engagement kind of go back and forth. And that's where I think he needs to still pick up some of the nuances of defense. And that's the hardest part of defense to play. And the most important part of defense to be able to play, especially when you're trying to earn minutes because NBA defense is, you know, you're a link in the chain. And as soon as you cut that off, you rip right through, go through it. And 
you know, you need to know where to be on the weak side of the court when your man is in the corner and you need to know when to tag and when to rotate and when to exit, like all these complicated things um, that he still needs to learn the nuances too. I think that he's actually really good in the passing lanes. And um, I think that's where you see a lot of his activity off ball. And there's value in that because that's defense and offense. Uh, But, you know, it also leads to gambles. And sometimes when you gamble, you give up easy offense. And like we said, now you're forcing the team defense structure to break down. Um, So, yeah, I think he just needs to kind of work on the positioning, you know, stay flat, blow the ball head on a swivel, um, know when to stay home, know when to get out to his man. But uh, I, I also don't think that he wasn't trying. So uh, to me, like he was competitive defensively, especially on ball. He's willing to play defense. I, I think he's going to struggle early on as most rookies do. But I think that he's going to be a good enough defender. And I don't think he's going to be Davion Mitchell as a defender, that's, you know, not his game, but I think that with his physical tools, his instincts, um, and his, his competitiveness, I think that he's going to turn himself into a defender that is at the very least adequate. And again, going back to a guy like Zach Levine, who had defensive questions all through his career and still does still gets labeled a poor defender, even though I think at worst he's average. Now I don't think he's great. And with that scoring load, if you're just getting average to slightly below average defense from that kind of position, then worth it. Right. So if I I think if he gets to that point and turns himself into a, an efficient offensive player, you can get by with the level of defense that I think he's going to, uh, project to long-term, but I, I don't think he's going to be a turnstile or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I think something that you mentioned that I forgot to mention was we talked about when we were talking about his offense, the kid is a dog. He's an absolute ferocious player. And I think you see that on the defensive side too, which is why when we get to our player comps later, he reminds me of a player that I don't think that Christopher is at that level defensively yet, but because of his competitive spirit and what I said about his hands, um, I think there's a lot of potential. So when I said I was hot and cold about him, I think I was just going based off of what he did in college, but I'm a thousand percent on board with you because I think with what we saw and with the raw tools and the instincts that you talked about, the potential for him becoming a very, very good defender is there. Um, will he get there? I think obviously that's up to him, but there's a lot to like there. And, and I, I did want to mention like, once again, like I think what you said about the stance is right. So I, I think my biggest issue with guys that are long leg short torso is those guys don't really get into a stance. And I think the encouraging thing with Christopher, as you mentioned, is that I think he's a little long legged, but he does get into a stance. And like when he's in, in a stance, he does a really good job and he uses his strength really well. Like, I don't think he was at the level of Davion where Davion can like literally just use his chest to intimidate you and move you off the spot and move you off your angle and trajectory to the rim. But Christopher is pretty damn close. Like he's really, really strong in that way too. So when we incorporate his strength plus his spirit, that is really intriguing uh, as a defender as well. And and we see that offensively too. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think I know what it is about his legs. He wears short shorts. And I think it maybe is a little deceiving. He's a short shorts maybe. guy. 
Maybe, you know, maybe. He, he got he got some some good legs on him, and he's wearing short shorts. So show him off, man, Josh. I'm with you. Show those those legs off. But I think that maybe that has a little bit to do with it. Um, all right, Albert. It's that time. It's time for sell me this pen. Okay. Sell me on Josh Christopher. <sighs> okay. So, Corey, I'm actually going to double up on this. I'm going to sell you this pen while giving you my player comp because I think that's the best way to sell this pen for Josh Christopher. I look at Josh Christopher as a tough shot maker, a guy that who has incredible offensive upside that wasn't able to fully show that at the college level. I think he's a better passer than he is um, than he was able to show. And I think he's going to get better at that. Um, I think he's going to continue to develop as a shooter. Um, the player that I'm thinking of, um, I, I think Christopher is going to be a better offensive player coming in, but obviously not as good defensively. But the player that I thought of while watching Josh Christopher, who I know isn't the guy that you thought of, because I know who you thought of. Um, mm-hmm. I actually thought of a guy named uh, Jimmy G. Buckets and Jimmy oh. Butler. And the reason why, just hear me out for a second. Now, I don't think it's obviously it's not a direct comp because none of these comps are direct comps. But the reason why I felt Jimmy while watching him play was obviously Jimmy's a little bit taller. Now, Jimmy's a guy who's like deceptively tall. I look at Jimmy. I'm like, how the hell are you six, seven? Right. But anyway, Christopher, the thing I like about Christopher is I think defensively he can get to a level that is higher than what he has shown because of that spirit that we're talking about. The kid is a competitor. The kid is so strong. He's going to walk into the league and players are going to feel him. Like offensively, when a player is going at Christopher, they're going to feel Christopher defensively. He's going to be there. He's not going to be Kevin Knox. Right. Kevin Knox gets pushed off the spot. Kevin Knox gets gets thrown into the stands all the time. I will never forget Kevin Knox's second year in the summer league when Zion was a rookie and he ripped the ball out of Kevin Knox's arms. I'll never forget that moment. That's something that Josh Christopher will never allow to happen because he's that type of competitor and he's got that type of strength. And so when I think about Christopher, his offensive upside, his defensive upside, I see a little bit of Jimmy G buckets. I see a little bit of Jimmy Butler. I think there might be something there. I think Christopher is going to be a better shooter than Jimmy buckets. But when we think about the dog and we think about the defensive potential and the little bit of playmaking that I think Christopher is going to blossom into, I actually saw a little bit of uh, Jimmy Butler. So that's what I'll sell my pen on. If you are interested, in, if you're a team that's like, you know, mildly interested in a Jimmy Butler, maybe you take a look at Josh Christopher here. <laughs> Josh, Joshy G Buckets for her, for Josh Christopher. Um, that's a, that's an interesting comp. And definitely Jimmy's, Jimmy's taller. Um, and Jimmy's strong as fuck. And I think just that height difference, you know, is a whole other level. But Jimmy's also a guy who was like guarding two, three, four, whereas Josh Christopher is going to have that strength advantage at like one, two. So, you know, you can look at um, maybe similar potential there. Although Jimmy's, you know, an all time kind of defender, but it's a very high bar. But like Jimmy also had complete outlier development. Like there is a world in which Jimmy doesn't lock himself in you know a cabin in the forest in the off season and he's like a, a 16 17 point per game guy with like two assists and you know six seven rebounds which is still like a really really valuable player with his defense just not the kind of guy who could possibly be the best player in a final series like he showed against LeBron and the Lakers all right so you 
you have your if you're buying stock who may you have bought stock in previously and for a guy who is at a, a an average stock price of 34.6 we're coming in hot with these names because there is a lot of talk about how Davion Mitchell is the guy in this draft who most resembles Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. It's the number. It's the name. Some of the pull-up shooting stuff. I think Josh Christopher most resembles the play style of Donovan Mitchell. And I know maybe you might say that sounds crazy, and maybe it is. Maybe it is crazy. But I think just from an aesthetic point of view, when you look at the two of them in the way that they get to their spots, in the way that they get into their, you know, get to their shots, the little get the guy leaning left, come back right, come back left, little snatchback, crossover, in and outs, the little, the, you know, measurables are not all that dissimilar. The ferocious power dunking, you know, the, the way that you're able to use your body defensively, I see a lot of qualities of Donovan Mitchell in Josh Christopher. Now you might be like, all right, but Josh Christopher's jump shot is not nearly as aesthetically pleasing as Donovan Mitchell. And you would be right because Donovan Mitchell is playing like a fucking hall of famer in the playoffs. That's that's what he's been in the playoffs. But if you go and look at his shot at Louisville, it was not as clean as it is now. Donovan Mitchell got there through hard work and hard work, like straight up, like he made the changes he needed to, to make in his jump shot. So, and, and the footwork and all of that. And, and that's true. So like, am I saying that Josh Christopher is going to turn into Donovan Mitchell? No, I just think he has a lot of similarities and a lot of things that made Donovan Mitchell successful. I think that Josh Christopher brings to the table. And if you look at Donovan Mitchell's numbers in college, You'd probably be shocked by a lot of them, by the scoring, by the uh, percentages, and you would find how similar those percentages were to Josh Christopher. I mean, as a sophomore, Donovan Mitchell shot 41% from the field and 35% from three, 81% from the line. Josh Christopher was at 43, 31, 80, right? He was not all that far from Donovan from behind the line. He was a better overall field goal percentage and same at the free throw line. Um, You know, so like it's not out of the realm. I mean, even like rebounds assists, like it's all fairly similar. And I think that Josh Christopher has good um, steal and block percentages, which are good trans, you know, uh, indicators to, to translate. I'm not saying it's it's direct. I think that he has to make changes to his jumper to, you know, kind of get to any kind of level close. For sure. But like that's what when you're projecting these kind of one and done players, to me this is the type of archetype that you're actually going to you should take a chance on, especially where he's been mocked all over the internet, if that has any bearing of how NBA GMs actually feel about him, this is where I think you can get real value. Because, okay, so I'm saying that he has shades of Donovan Mitchell for the high end. Well, low end, let's say he's J.R. Smith, right? Go back to the 2004 draft and tell me how many guys you're going to take over J.R. Smith. 
let's say he's Jordan Clarkson. Go to Jordan Clarkson's draft. Look at Jordan Clark. Look at Jordan Clarkson's college numbers. I mean, this is a guy that played, you know, had had a redshirt year, but played three years of college and shot twenty eight percent from three as you know, a what twenty two year old, twenty whatever, however old he was, you know, was not really even all that efficient. And he finally, on the right team in the right situation, found a real niche. And like you said, won six man of the year. So to me, that is kind of Josh Christopher's baseline. Now, maybe it's a situation where he is on the low end and he's Jordan Clarkson-esque and he doesn't find the Utah Jazz and he's this guy who bounces around on teams like the Cavs. That's possible and you don't ever see the true value. But to me, his low end is basically, you know, the same kind of production that you would see out of Jordan Clarkson. But I think that his ceiling is way higher than Jordan Clarkson. So that brings us to how volatile is he? And that question to me all kind of is answered in how you perceive his draft range. Because I don't think really there's any volatility in taking him where he's projected to go at back end of the first round or early in the second round. I don't think there's any volatility there because at that point the the hit rate is so rare and minuscule. I feel like the only danger to his volatility is if Arizona state happens again. So if he gets drafted by the wrong team, that's my only concern, right? Where even then though, like even if he gets drafted by the wrong team, if he has to figure it out on his second or third team, I'm still buying Josh Christopher. Like, like I mean, okay, another guy that may, maybe not similar, but a guy that comes to my mind is Malik Monk, right? I freaking love, and we've talked about Malik Monk, and we we were both huge yeah. Malik Monk guys, you know? And so even Malik Monk, it took him time to develop. Um, but like those first couple of years, everyone was calling him a bust, saying the kid can't make it, blah, blah, blah. So for me, I think the only, I'm, I'm with you, Corey. I think he's a pretty safe bet to become at the very worst, a serviceable NBA pro. But I think how long that takes in terms of him reaching his highest potential will really be hinging upon where he ends up. And so maybe the best situation is for him to go like late in the first round to a really good contending team, uh, to a team that'll develop in the right way. Um, That might actually be best for his development and that might actually end up happening because of what we're seeing right now with how you know where he's on draft boards and mock drafts so that yeah might be good all i'm saying is with the way that he moves and the little opening and shot creation if we're talking end of the first round i'm not going to be mad if he ends up in denver with the joker (sighs) i'm not going to be mad and he seems like the kind of chance that Denver's front office has been willing to take. Um, but I'm just going to, you know, plant my flag I, in Josh Christopher and buy all of the stock that everybody's mm. been selling. I'm, I am buying the dip and I'm buying the dip hard because I think that Josh Christopher in this draft is a lottery level talent. And um, I think you can make the case for him over so many of the guys that, people seem to be falling in love with and i think that so many of those guys have way like at least the same amount of risk so i don't know necessarily why josh christopher is the guy who has 
dropped so far. I don't know why even Cam Thomas is a guy, like you said, has necessarily dropped so far. Um, because I think they're both really skilled guys who present at least one NBA level talent. And I think that um, skills is the name of the game in this NBA. If we've learned from the playoffs and there's a lot of guys at this back end of the draft who are like, all right, they got good measurements or, you know, they have a lot of bounce, but they're raw. And it's like, how many of those guys are the guys that are going to pan out? Like, can they play basketball? And Josh Christopher, I know, is a basketball player. Like, this kid looks mm-hmm. like he has been hooping forever, not the, oh, well, you know, he's only been playing since right. uh, eighth grade, so, you know, he's got all these extra developmental gears, and it's, like, so rare that that actually even pays off. So, to me, I, I'm buying the dip hard on my guy, Jacob. Corey, you know what might be similar um, in terms of like situation? Last year, you I'm sure you remember how much I loved I loved Tyrese Maxi. Like I was willing to take Maxi at eight. Was how I was high. thinking. I was thinking of Maxi <laughs> earlier. I think there's some similarity there. There are, dude. There are. So I was thinking about like Maxi and Philly and how hey, like he played in the playoffs and he was actually important for them. Obviously, yes. he didn't swing things for the Sixers, but he played some important minutes and he provided them shot making shot creativity and i feel like josh christopher can go in the at at the end of the first round and offer a playoff team that kind of value right even in year one he could be a guy who comes off the bench gives him a little scoring punch am i i'm pretty sure um maxi had like a 38 point game or something like that this year during his rookie year yeah early on there's a lot of shots but he but yeah they had like six they had like six guys (laughs) due to COVID or something due to COVID, yeah but like i feel like christopher can be that type of guy where christopher can come into a playoff contender and maybe he might not swing a playoff series but he might be able to swing a game or two even in his rookie year and so if that's the case like right now tankathon has christopher going 32nd to the new york knicks um that's kind of interesting i'm not opposed to that at all so i feel like that's kind of his early value and eventually he could develop into way more than that so i'm with you dude i'm definitely buying yeah i i think that he's a guy who should be higher on on some of these draft boards and um not that the draft boards are have any kind of bearing in reality necessarily. It's all a fun exercise, but I think that there's something in him where you could just watch him and be like, yep, that's an NBA player. Like I could see him playing in the NBA where some of these other guys, it's like a lot has to break right to see them have long NBA careers. Um, I think that's going to do it for, for Josh Christopher. I think that, you know, he's obviously polarizing and we are on the North pole side of, <laughs> of Josh Christopher. Um, and it seems to not necessarily be all that popular, but we're not guys who are just looking at the consensus and trying to match boards and have group think. We're also mm-hmm. not trying to stray from the path just to be different. We're just, we're trying to evaluate these guys in a way that is unique to us and, and just trusting our, our instincts. And um, I love Josh Christopher's game. And I think that he's one of those guys that had the name recognition coming in. And I actually still see it, even though his college season was less than ideal. So hit us up on the internet. Let us know your feeling about Josh Christopher, why we're right, why we're wrong. 
And um, in order to do that, you have to subscribe to the podcast. You need to rate it. You need to review it. Um, and before we get out of here, Albert, tell the people where they can find you. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Alberto Gim. Um, I did want to give a quick shout out to uh, shout out to Backcourt Violation. We were just talking today in a, in a little group chat and I know he's, you know, they're listening to this pod. Shouts to them and their pod. You know, they yes. just launched a new pod. Pretty awesome. The Backcourt, um, I did, uh, Backcourt Violation podcast. So go and subscribe to right. that as well. Yep, yep. And I did want to say, to Corey, I don't know if you noticed, but like at the beginning of the pod, like I almost stood up because like something happened. Dude, there was a freaking earthquake in the middle of the pod. And so oh, for our <laughs> listeners out there, if you guys ever question um, our commitment and love for this pod and the content we're putting out here, we recorded through an earthquake here in Los Angeles. So let's go take that, bro. <laughs> Stock up. Dedication. That's dedication. That's I, I I'm assuming it wasn't that bad of an earthquake. Um, well, the apartment shook, so I was like, "Oh, oh shit!" Like <laughs> I thought, like a truck smashed into our building, so I was shook for a while, and then I pulled up Twitter, and people are freaking out on Twitter for, about the earthquake. So I was like, "Oh, we're good." All right. Well, at, <laughs> you're fine. So <laughs> you recorded through it. So um, shout out to uh, to you and and kudos for for you know getting through this very difficult time in in your life. <laughs> All right. Um, all right, guys. Uh, we're out of here. You can check out our updated mock draft that we did uh, live on YouTube. You can watch the video um, in full over there on the Hardwood Herald YouTube. You can also listen to the replay. If you're listening to this episode and you've made it this far, you've probably already listened to it. So shout out to you, the listener. And um, we're going to be back for the, you know, until the draft, banging out these NBA prospects just going through them. So uh, get ready. It's about to get real. It's draft season, baby. And let's go. Out.